Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Excited to be here tonight or today. Got messed up with last night. It'll always get you messed up. You should come to Saturday night service. Lots of seats. Okay, but anyways, uh, my name is Kent Schlecht. I am the church planning resident here at Compass Church. Uh, and uh, so just to kind of explain a little bit about who I am, uh, me and my wife, Danielle, moved out here in April, and we're here for a year-long residency to kind of plan and prepare to go plant a church back in California in a city called Bakersfield. So we're super excited to be here, thankful for you guys and your partnership in this, um, and I'm excited just to kind of jump into God's Word with you this morning. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, so if you want to open your tablet, book, Bible, or you just want to watch, look at the screen, that's cool. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're just like really working hard, driving toward finishing an assignment or a, a work, uh, work thing, and, and you've come to the end just to find out it was all in vain, you know, and you're like filled with all these different emotions. Like, maybe like you're looking to do some extra credit for an assignment, and like the good thing, like the teacher's like, you know, you were trying to get an A, I just gave you an A. You're like, but I did the assignment, right? Like, and you're like, it was in vain. Or maybe it's at work, and you're like tasked with the whole team to accomplish something, and you're putting extra hours in, and doing all the hard work, and carrying the burden as the, for the team, just to find out the team submitted the work to the boss the previous week. And you're like, what? Like, there's all this in vain. I feel like you can be filled with a few different things. One would be like frustration, anger, right? Like, guys didn't communicate with me, right? I think the other thing can be a sense of free, freeing to be freed, to be surrendered and not have the burden or the struggle anymore. I imagine that's how Hiro Onado felt. See, Onado was a soldier in the Imperial Army of Japan back in World War II. It's a really interesting story. He uh, was a second lieutenant, and he was given orders in 1944 to go and do whatever he could to delay and disrupt the enemy's advance in the Philippines. So after many years of battle and attacks, he was discovered still doing his mission in 1974. This guy was dedicated. He thought the war was still going on. He, he couldn't believe that Japan would ever surrender. So no matter how much information they fed him, and like, they left him newspaper clippings that Japan had surrendered, he always thought it was propaganda. They're trying to get him out to, to, to capture him. He would continue his struggle until they found his commanding officer, now a book salesman, and they brought him together, and it was at that moment he was told he was relieved of his duty. At that moment, he became free from his struggle. Onoda couldn't believe the truth until he was faced with it, and as it was revealed, it freed him. He was held captive by a struggle that didn't even exist. I think the same thing can happen to us. See, we engage in a battle seeking to be freed, but decisive victory has already been won. The life we so desperately long to live with is within our grasp. A life filled with grace that honors God and brings peace and blessings to those around us. Who wouldn't want to live that life? As we open up to Galatians chapter 2, we see that Jesus' sacrifice is the very thing that frees us to live this grace-filled life. So I want to, this, this morning, kind of walk quickly through Paul's argument in chapter 2, through these verses. We're not going to read all of them, we're just going to kind of, kind of summarize it. But then I want to rest and use the rest of our time to examine the two outcomes of Jesus' sacrifice at the end of these verses. So let's look at the argument, what's happening here. 
We'll see Paul's under attack by some people who want to lay further demands on peop- the, the people of God. See, they, they claim that you, you have to believe in Jesus, dedicate your life to Jesus, but you also have to do some other things. And specifically, they believe that you had to become Jewish or had to start following the Jewish laws and, and customs. Now, see, they were arguing with Paul that he made up his message, that he wasn't speaking on behalf of the other apostles or early church leaders. But in fact, Paul was actually underneath their authority. He wasn't even on the same level. So Paul shifts to a defense in these verses. And this defense actually begins back in chapter 1. So what does he do in chapter one? Well, this was last week, and Pastor Tim preached on it, so if you, if you want that in its full uh, kind of form, please go back and listen to that message. It was great. But he reveals that his message is from God and not man. He got this from Jesus. But he reminds them that he knows all too well how when you have religion and you minus grace, you get captivity, because Paul lived it. He was captivated by this religion, by this, this thinking but Jesus met him on a road and freed him, relieved him of his struggle, and gave him this message to take to the Gentiles, people who are not born of Jewish background. This is not a message of his own creation or choosing, but given to him by Jesus. So now we get to chapter two, and, and, and Paul starts continuing out his, his detail of defending his message. And he claims that his message was verified by the other apostles in Jerusalem. See, it wasn't verified, in a sense, under their authority, but rather like a peer as an equal, as if like a peer-reviewed document. And this is huge because those people that are accusing Paul and bad-mouthing him, or saying that he's gone rogue, were claiming that Paul didn't have the authority on par with the other guys. But in fact, Paul did have equal authority. And this interaction that we see described in these first 10 verses is more likely the the council of Jerusalem that we see in Acts chapter 15. So for you guys that want a little more information, more background, feel free to go back there. But to kind of summarize what happened in that council, they decided clearly that in order to become a Christian, in order to accept Jesus and have new life in Jesus, Gentiles, again, people not born of the heritage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the recipients of the promises of God, they did not have to actually become Jews. They didn't have to change their culture, they change their way in that, in that realm. They didn't have to follow the dietary restrictions, the holy days, the circ- and circumcision. Well, the beautiful thing was, is they weren't saying the Jewish Christians didn't, they couldn't do that, they could. They could still do those things. That was good and honoring. But the Gentiles, the people who were not Jewish, didn't have to do that in order to be right before God. This was huge. No matter what you do, that, that, that didn't matter. You couldn't make yourself right before God, only faith in Jesus. So next, Paul takes this argument and he's gonna use from ch- verse 11 to the end of this chapter, and he's gonna tell a story about how he publicly rebukes Peter. So, and this demonstrates that, that Paul's message is correct, and Peter was wrong in this instance. So let's talk about Peter for a little bit, just so we're all on the same page. So what, what's, who, who is Peter? Well, first, uh, we need to understand, and this could get confusing in our verses as you read them, that Peter has a few different names he goes by. 
First, of course, you know, we just said it, Peter. Um, and this name he got uh, means rock. And I think it's most likely as you kind of read about Peter and his life, like Peter comes hard on things, right? Like a rock. He's like, a, you know, it's some good judgment, right? He's like black and white. It's this, right? And that gets him in trouble with Jesus sometimes. And Jesus like corrects him. Uh, I love that name for Peter. And then uh, the other name he goes by, second name, was Cephas, which is his Hebrew name, which is interesting because back then they had multiple languages they spoke, and so their names would have, they'd have different names for different languages. So uh, for Greek, it would be Peter. For, for the Hebrew, it would be Cephas. So let's not get those confused as we go through the story. We'll see that them play out. Second interesting thing with Jesus, uh, about Peter is that he's a really close friend of Jesus. And that's important to understand. He's very close to Jesus. The third thing to understand is he's one of the early church apostles. So he's, he's the guy that preaches the first sermon of church history and sees 3,000 people come to know, know Jesus that day, added to God's family. Peter's an important figure in the early church. I think that's why these people who are arguing against Paul, saying that Paul didn't know what he was talking about, that his message wasn't from God, I think that's why they started using Peter to get at Paul. They were essentially pinning Peter against Paul, saying they disagreed. So comically now, Paul's going to bring up a story when he confronts Peter about the very issue that's in dispute. And he's going he's gonna to lay it out, and he's going to really humiliate Peter. Um, but he does it in hope that we wouldn't follow suit. Let's get back. We're going to get back to that confrontation a little bit. Uh, but first, let's, let's move to the end of Paul's argument where he's going to show us the two outcomes of Jesus' sacrifice in our lives. Here's the first. Our first outcome, Jesus' sacrifice minus grace equals nothing. Just look down at verse 21. See, Paul is driving like a madman to this point. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. See, he's saying, I, I don't minus grace to Jesus' sacrifice, because if I did, it'd be of no purpose. Or like the NIV here, then Christ died for nothing. If I if Jesus sacrifice is sub, and sub, if I have Jesus sacrifice and subtract grace in my life, then I have nothing. I have nothing to forgive my sins. Jesus sacrifice is pointless. He died for no reason. That's not going to be something you hear in church every week, hopefully, right? But when we subtract the grace from Jesus sacrifice, it results in nothing. It's pointless. We, don't get, we end up not getting the abundant life that Jesus promises. We get nothing. But I think it's interesting because as we look at this and what exactly that nothing gets us, it's so much more than nothing, right? We look here, the, the very thing that promised life and forgiveness brings forth death and decay in our lives. It produces brokenness, sin, hurt in ourselves and those around us. And one example of how that happens is right here, when we subtract grace, is right here in the passage. It's illustrated through hypocrisy. Just look at what happens to Peter. So Paul's story about confronting Peter, as we get back to that now, is really about Peter's hypocrisy. See, Peter's hanging out with the Gentile believers, and, and it's, you have to understand, back in those days, like to, to follow the Jewish customs and laws... It was really important that Jews didn't eat with Gentiles. People didn't, you, didn't, you didn't mix with them when you ate. And that was important. But here, Peter, you have to remember that Peter had been released from any of these customs by Jesus himself. See, Jesus had revealed himself and given him a dream many years ago. If you want to see that background, Acts chapter 10 is where you go. And Peter had been told by Jesus personally 
They didn't have to worry about these customs that he could eat with Gentiles. And this was huge. So Peter has nothing to worry about, right? He has nothing to worry about. It's like if people started coming questioning him, Peter can say, you know what? Actually, I'm good, right? Like, you know, like Jesus told me, so bro, we're good, right? You can chill. Like, I've got this. I, I understand the whole dynamic here, but Jesus, you know, we're, we're tight, okay? So leave it alone. But it doesn't even take a question. It doesn't take a question of someone coming to him to make him scared. We'll see this in verses 11 through 13. So look down at this or up at the screen. But when Cephas, again, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why? For before certain men came from James, remember, these are the Jewish people, Jews that came from Jerusalem. He was eating with the Gentiles, hanging out, partying, you know, like just enjoying fellowship, laughing, high-fiving, right? It's fine. Everything's great. But when they came, again, didn't even have to ask a question. They just showed up. He drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, basically the, the Jews that came. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, Paul's traveling compa- companion, his ministry partner, was led astray by their hypocrisy. This is big. When Peter withdraws from the Gentiles, all the other Jewish believers withdraw as well. See, what happens is this makes the Gentiles feel and believe that they're actually second-class Christians. That they're really not holy enough. They're not religious enough. They're not Jewish enough to hang out with the Jewish Christians. If they really wanted to please God, they needed to show some more effort. They needed to change their customs and start obeying those Jewish ones. They needed to stop relying on grace. They needed to really, you know, strap up and, and, and take some effort on their own. They wanted to please God and be right before him. See, this is the very thing that the Jerusalem council talked about. And it said, this is not supposed to happen. So here you have Peter, and I believe unintentionally communicating this. He's, he's telling them that they have a part to play in their right, their, their right standing before God. So what does Paul do? He sees this and he's, he has no other thing he can do but confronts Peter in verse 14. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, so Paul's not going to hold back. If you, a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter had acted hypocritically. And see, Peter lived like a person, and, but told people to live a different way. See, his desire to keep face with those Jewish believers made him become a hypocrite. So I watched Netflix with my wife. And every time I say that, I feel like I'm confessing something. I don't know why. But so we watch Netflix and like we just, we, we love enjoying those shows. Um, but every so often we kind of come to a point where, you know, we kind of run out of the show. The show ends and not a new season. And so we're kind of stuck in this like realm. Like what do we do? What do we watch? Right? And so in those moments, I like, I go to documentaries. I don't normally watch documentaries, but I do in those moments. Well, and what's great about documentaries, right, is like, they, they are so passionate about what they believe, right? They, they, they believe it so deeply, and they're trying to convince you to believe along with them, right? And so much so, sometimes you're watching, you're like, yeah, that's, oh my gosh, like, we've got to change something, right? And that's the whole point of a documentary, right? And if it's not, maybe it's just a bad documentary. So recently, we saw this documentary about eating plant-based, okay? Not vegan, plant-based, right? And some of you guys might have seen something like this. They're all over Netflix. And so the whole premise, right, is how, and I'm not, I'm not, 
saying this is true. I'm just saying that's what they believe, right? How the meat and dairy industries are not sustainable, right? How they're just killing the earth and how they're just terrible things. And like, like if we don't stop eating meat and all these things, like we're all going to die. In fact, meat is actually the cause of all the badness and cancer in the whole world, right? And you're just like, oh my gosh, like meat is terrible, right? And it's meant to do this. Not, so not, not to say it's right or wrong, but that's what it does, right? It makes you feel this. You're like, oh my gosh, I got to like change my whole life. So now imagine if I went out to dinner and like, I'm not a big nerd, but like I go like on IMBD, like that's where like you find out about like, you know, people who in movies and you find out who the director is, right? And you're like, oh, cool. And so all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, the guy came into my, my, my uh, restaurant. So I'm sitting there and he's about to order food. I'm like, I'm really fascinated about this director who's so passionate about this issue, who's living this lifestyle. I'm like, I want to see how he orders here. I'm just really intrigued. And so he orders his food and it comes out. And you're sitting there, you see the plate come by, and it's got french fries on it, you know? And you're thinking, oh, you know, well, that's plant-based. It's not healthy, but it's plant-based, you know? And then you see this big, this juicy, cheese-oozing burger. And and honestly, who can fault him for eating that? But at the same time, he's being a total hypocrite, right? Like, he's saying one thing. He had a whole movie, right? And unless he's, like, flipped around and said, I repent of it all. It's all wrong, right? He's propagating something but living a different lifestyle, it's wrong. I think the best way to get at this guy, I guess I, I maybe if this is so bad, I, I think of these things, right? So I think of like, how do you like point out that he's doing it, right? And you say, hey, I love your documentary. Changed my life, right? Guy's like, check please, <laughs> right? He's got to go, like he's like out of there, right? It's interesting, hypocrisy, like when we're, it's revealed, like we get super like, oh no, what's happening? Like I, I got to get out of here. See, I think Jesus' sacrifice frees us to live a grace-filled life, a life that's full of gentleness, kindness, outflowing, just, just helping other people, being generous to others. But when we live in hypocrisy, it steals all the grace away. It subtracts it. And the reality is hypocrisy results when we subtract grace in that way. We're not living out the victory that Jesus has won for us. We're not standing firm in our identity. I think because of this, when we subtract grace and live, in a, uh, live out hypocrisy, we tend to have a grace-filled life, but we tend to minus it. We move to one side of a spectrum of grace or the other. So what are those spectrums of grace? So grace is in the middle. It's the life that we long to live, to, 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 to know Jesus and to, to make him known to others. But when we minus grace in our lives, we tend to slip to one side. What's the first side of the spectrum? Legalism. Oh, there you go. I'm I'm like, you're speaking back to me. That's good. So what is legalism? An overestimation of our own worth to be right before God or to appear more holy to others. So Peter's acting holier, right? He's, so remember, what is he doing before the Jews show up? He's partying, high-fiving, enjoying fellowship with the Gentiles. Not wrong. He's been freed to do that. But when the Jews show up, he like somehow gets scared, right? And he slips over. And he moves to legalism because he's scared of what, what they would think. He starts playing the game. He's a hypocrite because he says that you can live this way, but he starts going the opposite direction. He starts putting on a face, a mask. He starts playing a game, and it's dumb. Peter knows better than this. See, he was part of the very council that agreed that this shouldn't happen. So what gets him out of character? Well, it's clear. Fear. Verse 12. But when they came and drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. See, fear drives us to hypocrisy. 
We fear something or fear what others might think about us, and so we act out of character, out of line to our identity. I think we all can find ourselves here time to time, allowing fear to move us, to consider what others think about us more important than how God has considered us, or what Jesus has done, or what the freedom that we should experience through his sacrifice. So we gotta ask, what fears, what fears might be making you drift towards hypocrisy? What are you scared of? Who are you scared of? What situations you find yourself that you can't live out your identity and the grace, the freedom you have in Jesus? Is there an area that you're subtracting grace? I think sometimes this can happen when we get around people who are different from us. So if you're a Christian and you've believed in Jesus, you've put your faith in him and you get around people who are of the world and you know they do things like people of the world who don't believe in Jesus do. They live lives, they, they drink certain ways, they, they have a lifestyle that isn't in, in accordance, in line with Jesus. And I don't expect them to be like, you know, I'm gonna obey Jesus. Well, you don't know Jesus, you know? You're not believing in Jesus, but we're called to a different standard, right? But I think when we get in these situations, we sometimes get fearful of being weird or, or, or not being liked or not being accepted, that we end up doing things that are go against our identity and who we really are. And we forget about Jesus' sacrifice and grace, and we end up subtracting the grace and living out nothing and getting nothing from it and feeling empty and, and, and guilty, and we, we don't act according to our, our character, and we participate in sin. We want to fly under the radar. This is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And we all do it. If we all, maybe, maybe we're not all doing it now, we have done it. The opposite's true as well, is when you show up to an area and you find that, oh, these people maybe are acting holier than they really are, or or are holier than you, more religious, more like Jesus. There's some bad ways this can happen. There's some good ways. But you show up in an area and you feel like, I, I'm not as good as these people. So you put on a face. You don't really, you're not really that holy. You really don't read your Bible, but you have, have all this stuff around your Bible, right? You make sure you put markers in there. You highlight it just to make sure if people saw you open your Bible, you know, all those things. Like, and maybe it's because I did these things that I know that. Um, but like, you're subtracting grace from your life because you're faking it. But here's the thing, your faking can actually be your reality. What do I mean by that? Jesus' grace applied to your life can give you the power, can give you the ability to change, to, to desire what God wants. And sometimes the things we see in people that make them holier is just they have a longer walk with Jesus. They've been with Jesus longer. They, they've, they've changed because Jesus has been at work in them. And we want that change fast, so we pretend that we have it. It's, we're playing a game. It's hypocrisy because we put on a mask to pretend we're someone we're not. But let's not judge Peter too quickly in our hypocrisy, right? Because ultimately, uh, we are hypocrites as well. And I think it's easy because we, we like to judge one another. And judging each other makes us feel really good about each other. Now, before I kind of get into that, I do want to give a kind of hiatus, like little sidebar on judging. Because some people like, get into like, like, hey, you know, no one can judge me but God. You know, okay, that's, you know, that's true. God, and here's a fact, God will judge you one day. Um, but uh, that, that's not something you like, you know, you, like, really get excited about. So um, that's, that's, that's going to be a tough, be a tough thing. Um, but anyway, so we get to this place where like, no one can judge me. Like, no judgment, right? Hashtag, no judgment. And so the problem is, is that actually scripture calls us in some areas to live grace-filled lives and confront one another and to help each other walk more uh, steadily, walk more calmly with Jesus. Like Jesus gives us grace and we screw up and we fall short. His grace is given to us. It's not something we earn, it's just given. 
But it doesn't mean we abuse it. But I think sometimes that we get in these situations. And so it's, it's good to judge one another in some areas. Like, let me give you an example. Like, no one would ever say this, but I'm just giving it. Right? So someone comes to you and be like, oh, yeah, I stole $1,500 to, like, buy a laptop from, you know, I stole $1,500 from work to buy a laptop or, you know, to buy a coat because, you know, it's a really nice coat. And so, like, they're like, hey, yeah, no judgment, right? I hashtag no judgment. You can't judge me. It's like Jesus, you know, and you're like, no. No, 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 Jesus didn't set you free so that you can do whatever you want. And I've had this experience time and time again where I meet people who are new in the faith and they're like, hey, they're like, this is what I was doing yesterday. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, um, thank you for sharing that. I'm a pastor. I'm surprised you told me that. And I have to reveal to them, like here in the scriptures, it says that like, if we're going to follow Jesus, like we're not going to do this perfectly. He doesn't ask us to be perfect to come to him, but we can't continue in that act. And sometimes these new believers are like, I didn't know that. So we have to understand that some people just don't know, but we're here to grace-filled lives, live before them and help them along in their walk. So remember that, so live grace-filled. But let's get back to judging one another. So why am I bringing that up right now? Because I find it's really easy to judge other people's hypocrisy, and often we have blinders to our own. And I think sometimes we judge people so that judge people's hypocrisy because it makes us feel better about our own hypocrisy. And when we're falling short, we like want to make sure other people's, you know, and somehow that is self-fulfilling and encouraging to us. See, I got really good at this uh, as a kid, and I was always told like, hey, stop pointing your finger, right? And what, what are you always told? Because you're, you're pointing your finger, you said you're what? Right, the three fingers are pointing back at you, right? And some people are like, well, point all five, you're good, right? You're like, no, you missed the whole point, right? You missed the whole point. We don't need to be pointing at each other. And, and pointing blame and judging one another and saying, oh, look, at that guy's so bad, right? Grace-filled lives. And I guess, like, I know this personally because I got really good at this, um, but, like, we just need to be loving people and, and, and just gently bringing them back and showing them where they're missing it and love one another. I think the reality is, right, that we judge others' hypocrisy, it just can end up making us just feel, feel good about our own. I think we have to allow grace to infuse the situation. We have to allow grace to take hold of our thoughts and remind us that you are the biggest hypocrite there is. When you have that thought, sure easier to give people grace, right? To be gentle with them, to be kind with them. Like, why are they struggling with that? How dare they? It's like, well, you know, I was there too. And if someone didn't show me grace, namely Jesus, then where would I be? And because of what Jesus has done for us, we are to live these grace-filled lives, generous, gentle, kind, encouraging. Jesus didn't come to save perfect people, so we need to stop acting like he did. We need to embrace that, not in a way that abuses grace, but in a way that just shows his, his glory, his honor. <clears throat> so here's the thing. Judging is the easiest indicator to see someone subtracting grace. It helps us feel better about who we are and how we compare ourselves to other people, but it doesn't help us continue to live out that grace-filled life, and it really brings nothing. And here's the thing. You might be here saying, I've, not, I don't, I, I've been judging people for a long time. You might not say that. But you're like, I haven't felt the effects of that. I don't know what you're talking about. If you haven't felt the effects yet, I guarantee you the people around you have. Those who've been forgiven much should forgive. That's that grace-filled life. So what's the other side of uh, uh, grace? Let's cover that. The other side is licentiousness. Say that 10 times fast. 
Licentiousness, okay. Um, so licentiousness, it has the word in it, right? License. It's like license to sin, right? It's kind of like James Bond, license to kill, but, you know, not so much that way. But like license to, to sin. So here's a definition. Uh, it's when we have an over-evaluation of our own worth and an under-evaluation of our sinfulness. See, this leads us to believe that since God loves me and Jesus died for me, I can do whatever I want. Like, there's no, there's no consequences, there's no sin I can't do. Um, it's an abuse of God's grace. See, it's a form of hypocrisy, but it doesn't identify itself as hypocrisy. Because there are being two-faced in this. Rather, I think what these people say is like, we're just exercising our freedom. Jesus set me free, so I can, I can do, for it's for freedom. But we use our freedom to sin. And we get warned time and time about this in, in the Bible. But when we use that, we actually minus grace and bring Jesus' sacrifice to nothing. We're subtracting it. See, we have an over-evaluation of our own worth, that we're so great, who wouldn't want to be around us, right? And we have an under-evaluation of our sinfulness, or really the problem before God. So when I go to the store, I take my, uh, you know, two daughters, I've got a three-year-old and two-year-old, um, and, you know, once in a while, like, my wife's like, hey, you know, we're going to shop, like, why don't you take the girls and go to the toy aisle? And I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. Like, I'm just like, I don't want to go to the toy aisle with the girls. Why? Because they think that if they get the toy and they put it in the cart, it's what? Going to go out of the store with them. And I'm like, no. See, they have an over-evaluation of their, their need for the toy or their desire for the toy, and they have an under-evaluation of the cost. They don't know how much it costs. They're just like, yeah, I'll get this thing and that thing. And it's like when I take it away from them, which is like the hardest thing to do, right? It's like they start crying and they're just like, they don't get it, right? And I think the reality is when we understand that God's and we have a relationship with God in this way as a transaction, we don't understand that there's a problem. We don't understand that there's a debt, that sin is wrong. It hurts our relationship with God. We see that Jesus is the payment. So, you know, he's just always going to be there. So what difference does it make? And that's a beautiful reality with grace, is that sin abounds, grace abounds much more. But that shouldn't be the reason why we continue to abuse the grace. We, need to take, we can't take advantage of Jesus' sacrifice because we'll be diluting it of its power to really accomplish that. See, the problem is, is if, if you abuse God's grace, you bring Jesus' sacrifice to nothing. So they can't save you from anything. Why do I say that? If you abuse grace, right, abuse Jesus' sacrifice, as if you don't need Jesus' sacrifice, then what can Jesus save you from? If you have nothing to be saved from, why do you need a savior? It's purposeless, it's pointless, it's nothing. The opposite of a grace-filled life just assumes that, hey, we're all pretty good, you know? Wouldn't hurt to have a savior, just in case. The reality is it's hard to walk the line of grace. It's hard to stay in the middle of grace. And it's easy to, ex- to slide to one extreme to the other and dilute Jesus' sacrifice of its power. We need to stay in the middle. So how do we embrace grace? How do we do that? We'll look down at verse 20. So we're gonna see the second outcome. Jesus' sacrifice plus grace results in life. And not just any life, a grace-filled life. Look down these verses. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, in order to live a grace-filled life, we must reflect and live out uh, the, what we've been loved, how we've been loved by God, and how he's, been, how he's given, given to us. 
See, we're to love others as God has loved us. We're to sacrifice for others as he has sacrificed for us. We're to die to ourselves. So how is this possible? It's only through our identity with Jesus. See, this verse clearly spells it out that we have been fully identified with Jesus, so much so we read back over it. I have been crucified with Christ. Like somehow I have died. Like that's nuts, like I'm alive, but I actually have died with Jesus. And the reality with that is it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. And this is an outstanding reality. He's not just the source of my life, like giving me inspiration to continue on. He is my life. And he talks about how do I live this in the body? How do I live this in the flesh? Well, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's beautiful. We live grace-filled lives because Jesus' grace through his sacrifice given to us. See, this is such a wonderful truth. I think we just need to take it in and really own it and understand it and really allow it to be our identity. It can be powerful when it does. See, I grew up in a Christian home and I, was, I went to church every Sunday and I knew the stories of Jesus and I, I did all the Sunday school thing, right? But it was I, later, in early, still early on in my life, I, I, I realized my sinful, uh, sinful position. I realized how bad I was, how, how separated I was from God, and how Jesus was the solution, how Jesus was the Savior that could free me. So I put my faith in Jesus and, at a relatively young age. But then later in my teen years, even early in my teen years, I started to struggle. Because I realized I started to, started to pick off this stuff. Like, living for Jesus is hard. Like, you have to sacrifice things. Like, honestly, you have to ask yourself, what have you sacrificed in following Jesus? And I hope you can have a list, because I do. I'm like, man, I can't do this. I can hang out with these people. Not because, like, you can't hang out with those kind of people, because of what they're doing. Honestly, it just doesn't honor Jesus. Like, I can't go to there. I can't see that. I can't, you know, it's like it's frustrating to me. And not in some, like, I need to make myself right before God, so I need to, like, make sure I look holy. But I realized, because of what Jesus had done for me, I had to live differently. And it was really frustrating, and it was getting to me. I was wearing me out. And it was during the season I really started having a test of faith and saying, like, is this worth it? Is it worth to continue with Jesus? Because, like, he's, he's making me give up things I don't want to give up. He's making me, like, live a life that I, I honestly, I deep down don't want to live. I, I really considered throwing in the towel. Is it all worth it? And then I read this verse. And still one of my favorites to this day. And I realized that I had been living this life. I've been using my power, my authority, and, and my effort to live this life. And I was getting tired. I was getting worn out. I couldn't do it anymore. See, I was Kent living for Christ. Kent living for Christ. I was fighting my impulses in the heart and my mind. See, I was planning my future. It was my, my life. See, God was calling me to see it was all done in Jesus, and I'm actually living his life. He's in control. Somehow when my life intersected Jesus and it changed everything, you know, and I, I had already accepted Jesus years ago. I dedicated my life to follow Jesus years before this, but I started realizing that there, there was something more to this. There was something more that, that Jesus was truly my life, and it, this intersection, and, and really my life intersecting his death changed everything, and I started realizing that I had been living on my own power and authority, I had to give up my control of my life. I had to stop living my way and allow Jesus to live through me. 
He had the authority to call the shots. I needed to embrace grace and allow my authority to leave. I needed to yield my identity to Jesus alone. So what was the result? Honestly, I started changing the way I saw people. I saw them differently. I saw my siblings differently. Grew up in a family of uh, four, I had four other siblings. Um, I, I viewed them differently. I started viewing my parents differently. I started viewing my friends, my classmates, uh, just even strangers I met on the street. I started viewing them differently. Not perfectly, but just differently. I started seeing that like, you know, these people were made in God's image, that God loves them, that I should treat them differently, that they have worth and value because of what Jesus has do- done for them. I was willing to sacrifice my, my selfishness, my ambitions, my, my desires to see others improve, to see others succeed. And I thought, man, that's a person that could change the world. That kind of attitude can change a society, a culture. My life started to be filled with grace, to show mercy and kindness as God had done to me. But you know, I still struggled and I still struggle today. But hopefully as I see those struggles, I, I start trying to you know, re- relieve those and like see how Jesus can actually give me the power to deal with those struggles. You know, let me give you a few examples of how this looked for me and areas that I realized that I, I was still living in my power, my authority, and not living that grace-filled life, not giving out generosity and love towards others as God had done to me. The first one was in regards to theology. That might sound kind of a little weird, but it's like the study of God. It's, it's the knowledge of God. And, like, and I thought I just knew everything, and, you know, and I turned 17, right? And so I, I, I'd figured out everything. I'd figured out God. Not that like I knew God better than himself, but like I had been trained. I'd been talking. I'd been reading these books. I've been doing all these things. I, I knew so much about God. I knew about this, uh, him, how he interacted with humanity, how, how the ends were all going to happen, like the end times, like, oh yeah, like the end of the earth. Like I, I knew everything. And I could tell you and help you understand and lead you to a better life, right? I knew it so well that I started believing that people who didn't agree with me in certain issues, like they weren't even Christians, they didn't, they didn't understand the message if they didn't get this area right, and it was a very minute area. I wasn't a living out the grace-filled life because I was so consumed with myself and being right and having the right answers. And see, people joke about, you gotta go to, some people go to Bible college or they go to a seminary and they, they kind of become this way. Well, it actually took me going to Bible college and going to seminary to undo some of this. And getting around other believers and, and actually developing friendships with people who didn't agree with me. And that was really hard for me. And I started realizing that the, 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 the body of Christ, the, the church of Jesus was much broader than I was thinking. And we, needed, we need each other. And we can disagree in certain areas. And that's okay. That's what I appreciate about this church. That's what I appreciate about um, just other believers in my life. This was an area I needed to grow. The second area was with Driving. This is, this is a touchy issue, right? But literally, what I, what I found out with driving was I, like, I would get so upset at people, right? And I would get so mad at them, like, and I was a Christian, so I never showed them a finger or something, right? But like, I would say things under my breath, or like, I would do oh, road rage, like I would get so upset, right? And I realized that I was like, literally viewing these people less than human. Like somehow I get in my car, and like, these aren't human beings anymore. 
Like, and the funny thing was like, I was going to seminary and this is like really when I started figuring it out. I knew I was a bad driver in that way. Like I had some temper, like you, you use all these different languages to like to admit you have a problem, but without really having a problem, right? And so like, you know, I, oh yeah, I can get upset at the road once in a while, you know? And it's like, but like literally I was driving to seminary and like learning about how to like love people and help them see Jesus and flourish in their lives. And I'd get in the car and like, I just like hate these people, right? And I'm like, how is this even possible, right? And like, I started realizing, like, if I, like, Jesus loves these people. They, they're his children. They've been made in his image, but I don't view them that way when I'm driving. So what's the problem? I'm not applying grace. I mean, I have Jesus' sacrifice, but I need to add grace to live that grace-filled life. And it was in that moment I needed that. So at first, like, you know, I, I, Jesus had revealed this to me, like, just like in my thoughts. And I was like, oh gosh, I need to change something. So I started, okay, so what's, what's something? How can I like, like be more gracious with people? So the first thing I tried was like, what if like there's an actual emergency, right? That person's being a jerk because they have an emergency. It's like all the things that you would say, like why, like you hope to have an excuse when the police pull you over, right? And you're like, oh, well, you know, like officer, my wife's pregnant and we were trying to get to the hospital, right? So like, you have all those excuses. Like, so I said, okay, yeah, maybe that person has that. And that helped me for like a day, right? And then like, it didn't work anymore. Cause I'm like, oh man, it's just like, it's, but the, the, that guy clearly doesn't have a pregnant wife in his car, right? And so you're like, he is just a jerk. Like he just, you know, it's like, oh. So like what happened? How did this work? Well, it really was that Jesus started revealing to me just how I had been viewing people in general and how I don't really believe people had value in and of themselves. That, that I thought my time and my energy, my, my, my drive was more important than theirs. Who is it, who gave them the right to pass me, right? And like, well, that doesn't sound like someone who's following Jesus. And I remember Jesus put this verse in my head, Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Literally while I was driving, seminarian, right? This is a terrible person. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Beautiful verses. And it reminded me, and the, the beautiful thing about this passage, it's talking about Jesus and how he did this for us. Like if Jesus didn't consider us more important than himself, if he had stayed up in heaven, it's like, I'm not coming down. I'm not gonna die on a cross. I'm not gonna sit in traffic. How dare they let me sit in traffic, right? And everyone knows this if you like drive on the, the 10, right? And so like, man, so like this, this anger, and I started realizing I needed to treat these people and see them the way God sees them. And it was at this point I was able to let go of my, my anger and, and bitterness and allow Jesus' sacrifice plus grace to give me life. Now, these are examples that I'm using in like, it took me a long time to figure these things out, like ridiculously large amounts of time. And so some of us are sitting in this room like, man, I got things to work on. Like, praise God, good thing. Jesus is revealing this to you, use that. Take a step of obedience, just walk with him. What's that next step? Take it. Don't, don't harden your heart, don't, don't walk away, well, that, I, I, you know, I don't need to change anything. Maybe God, God's calling you to something. Take that next step. But you don't need to change everything overnight. It's not like you're like, no, I am a bad driver, good point. Um, I'm never gonna be a bad driver again. I'm never going to yell at people. Like, God on the street, you probably will, you know? But that's what God's grace is there for us, to help us in our time of need. But I'm saying, like, it's a, it's a moment-by-moment decision to start following and submitting certain things to Jesus and start seeing that grace-filled life, that generous life, the, the love flowing out of you from Jesus' life to others. 
So keep striving forward. It's hard to live in the middle of grace, to embrace it, to see your life as Jesus living through you, but we've got to, we've got to. Remember Onoda, the Japanese soldier from the beginning, struggling in a fight that didn't exist, struggling in a, in a war that had already been won. I'm encourage you, stop struggling. Surrender to Jesus. Find the grace to help. Come to the one who's taking your place, extending you grace. So you might be here today, and you've never asked Jesus to take control. So you might be here today, and you maybe you didn't know Jesus before you came in here. But maybe you have known him for a long time, and you've been wandering and wondering, and maybe he's speaking to you now. I'd encourage you to take a moment in a, in a second here to hand over the controls of your life, to surrender, to stop fighting. For us who are believers, how can we continue to embrace grace? How can we see it played out more in our lives? What needs to adjust? Is there a view of Jesus' sacrifice that we're, we're misunderstanding what Jesus did for us and our problem? Maybe it's a relationship that needs more grace. Maybe you've been putting on a mask for so many, for so many years, acting holier than you are. I encourage you, take off the mask. Embrace grace. Show your identity and embrace your identity in Jesus. Live the life that God has planned for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to take this time just to give you a moment to respond. Respond to Jesus. If, 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 if this is just your hundredth time and you're just dealing with things, that you should just ask him to reveal what, what your next step of obedience is today. But maybe you're someone in this room I've talked about earlier that you want to, you want to make a decision. You want to decide to follow Jesus today. You want to surrender your life and give it over to him. I encourage you right where you are to just say that in your heart. To tell Jesus to take control, that the way you've been living your life has been wrong, that you see that his sacrifice can take away your guilt, your sin, and you want to embrace grace. Until I encourage you to do that right now and dedicate your life to Jesus. Hmm. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for just this church and thank you for what you're doing in our lives. God, I pray that you continue just to press in our hearts and minds just how we can be more like you, how we can love people and live that grace-filled life. Help us do this just to honor you and to give you more fame and recognition but that more people might come to know you. Help us live this powerfully and actively in front of others. We pray this all in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.